All right, Paul and I back at it again. Capitalist realism, uh, chapter five, page 35. The first full paragraph on page 35. You want to take it away, Paul? Yes, sir. Thank you. The psychological conflict raging within individuals cannot but have casualties. Barazzi is researching the link between the increase in bipolar disorder and post-Fordism, and if, as Deleuze and Guattari argue, schizophrenia is the condition that marks the outer edges of capitalism, then bipolar disorder is the mental illness proper to the interior of capitalism. With its ceaseless boom and bust cycles, capitalism is itself fundamentally and irreducibly bipolar, periodically lurching between hyped-up mania, in parentheses, the irrational exuberance of bubble thinking, in parentheses, and depressive come down, parentheses, the term economic depression is no accident, of course, end parentheses. To a degree unprecedented in any other social system, capitalism both feeds on and reproduces the moods of populations. Without delirium and confidence, capital could not function. Hold on, hold on. So um, this is like where my ADD comes in. What will happen is I'll read that fucking this sentence does not i don't understand why you would do this why would you end a sentence come down period then parentheses <laughs> and then put the whole sentence in parentheses <laughs> why does a sentence have so that sort of shit i would keep reading if i was reading by myself but be thinking yeah. about that for like two pages yeah. like i just don't understand why you would ever do that it's um i can't say and i this you know, I don't have a photographic memory or anything. I don't think I've ever encountered a parenthesis that it's a that it's just its own sentence. Right. I know. That's it's so weird. Pre, it's not like a prelude to a sentence. It is no. its own sentence in its entirety. Yeah. Maybe he just really wanted to put it in there. I have no idea. But mm. like if he hadn't put that in parentheses, I wouldn't have been like, what an erroneous sentence, this fucking Fisher guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But right. I'm not writing for other academics and uh, right. So maybe. yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, that's all. That's all I. Oh have no to say. problem. Uh, you know, this is uh, obviously just a topic we personally discuss, which is just it's crazy how much uh, of our economy is based off of just kind of an overall feeling, like a feeling whether things will work out or whether they won't work out. You know, May first of 2020, uh, and just recently, fucking Musk going online and tweeting that Tesla stock is too high caused not only a dip in Tesla stock, but a dip in the stock market in total. Like sweet system when the ramblings of a clearly individual about his own company have ripples across the confidence of the stock market. It's just like, oh, that's the best determination we have right now. Super solid system. That's one of the reasons why I get so frustrated when people are like, oh, dude, you know, we just like, it's up to the economy. It's up to the economy. It's like, no, no, we are the economy. If, if, if we don't want it to be like this, we can collectively choose to change it. You know, yeah. it's just so irritating. It really is. Uh, it's with post-Fordism, the invisible plague of psychiatric and affective disorders that has spread silently and stealthily since around 1750, parentheses, i.e. the very onset of industrial capitalism, end parentheses, has reached a new level of acuteness. Here, Oliver James's work is important. In The Selfish Capitalist, James points to significant rises in the rates of mental distress over the last 25 years. In quotes, by most criteria, James reports, 
Rates of distress almost doubled between people born in 1946, aged 36 in 1982, and 1970, aged 30 in 2000. For example, 16% of 36-year-old women, women in 1982 reported having trouble with nerves, feeling low, depressed, or sad, whereas 29% of 30-year-olds reported this in 2000. For men, it was 8% in 1982 and 13% in 2000. It's just so wild that everybody is gung-ho for a system that causes one-third of a, the female population to report extreme discomfort in life, feeling nervous, feeling depressed. And I would say that the 13% in 2000 with men, is, uh, this is all conjecture and based off of my personal experience with life, but I bet if it was honest reporting of men would be a much higher number as well. Um, I have definitely seen studies where men just A, do not report feelings like depression for, you know, out of fear of it being a feminine issue and or uh, just out of fear of it not being taken seriously. Well, and also just not always understanding uh, what depression is. And I think this yeah. can be for, for men and women since public uh, school system doesn't teach us that much about emotional literacy, like understanding your emotions and stuff. There have definitely been times where I've been like, dude, I've been lazy as fuck for like the last month. I'm just tired. I won't get out of bed, blah, blah, blah. And then I am thinking about, I'm like, wait, is that me being lazy or is that me being depressed? Right. And also, I think another thing that makes that hard is like, maybe that line there is super fine or there's a lot of gradation. If that makes sense. But it is hard. And like, this is totally, once again, I'm not offering any advice. For me, the line is kind of like, if I am not even doing things that I know I enjoy, then I start to realize like, Hold normally on. enjoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very rarely am I stoked to do like a work report or something. But if I'm also like, nah, dude, I'm not going outside today. Fuck that shit. And I'm too lazy to even turn on my PS4. That's when I'm like, okay. Another British study James cites compared levels of psychiatric morbidity, which includes neurotic symptoms, phobias, and depression in samples of people in 1977 and 1985. Whereas 22% of the 1977 sample reported psychiatric morbidity, this had risen to almost a third of the population, 31%, by 1986. Since these rates are much higher in countries that have implemented what James calls selfish capitalism than in other capitalist nations. James' hypothesis that it is selfish, i.e. neoliberalized capitalist policies and culture that are to blame. Uh, specifically, James points to the way in which selfish capitalism, uh, oh, stokes up Okay, and then it goes into like uh, quotes, both aspirations and the expectations that they can be fulfilled. In the entrepreneurial fantasy society, the delusion is fostered that anyone can be Alan Sugar or Bill Gates. Never mind that the actual likelihood of this occurring has diminished since the, since the 1970s. A person born in 1958 was more likely than one born in 1970 to achieve upward mobility through education, for example. The selfish capitalist 
toxins that are most poisonous to well-being are this systematic encouragement of the ideas that material affluence is the key to fulfillment. That's got to be the. That's got to be. It's right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. We've, we found, we found a typo. Fucking Damn, dude, if only zero we had books. A radio, if only we had a radio set up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the selfish capitalist toxins that are most poisonous to well-being are the systematic encouragement of the ideas that the material affluence is the key to fulfillment, that only the affluent are winners, and that access to the top is open to anyone willing to work hard enough. Regardless of their uh, familiar uh, ethnic or social background, if you do not succeed, there is only one person to blame. James's conjectures about aspirations, expectations, and fantasy fit with my own observations of what I have called hedonic depression in British youth. Yeah, it's, it is such a daunting concept to know that every part of your life is an asset of like a, a larger inner working and then to be told that everything is your fault if something goes wrong you know i mean uh not that i hold any libertarian values but i guess maybe where they start to panic is that like well fuck, dude i'm being told i'm a failure due to other people i'd rather just be on my own i think that's a very silly answer uh, to progress things forward instead capitalism just chooses to ignore uh, the collectivity of things, because then you can siphon off and blame failure on individuals. So if, if something large scale doesn't work, you can just fire the CEO, uh, that's, you know, which is what should happen. But realistically, uh, they'll pick 10 mid-level managers and pick, oh, it's these fuckers' performance. And then uh, maybe sometimes those 10 middle-level managers will flip it on to like two or three employees. And so now all of a sudden, something that was a large systematic or systemic failure uh, is now just being put on the shoulders of a few individuals. A, is unbelievably unfair and exploitative, uh, but B, allows you to continue doing the stupid thing. If you don't acknowledge that the entirety of what you're trying to achieve maybe is uh, misguided or broken and you can't do that because stockholders insist that that's what needs to be done or something of that nature, as long as you can pinpoint individual failure, it allows you to keep going on with the collective dumbness, if you will, or a collective ignorance. Um, if you can just you keep using like individual scapegoats. And that's, that's what I think is most, for me, most daunting about the one person to blame sort of shit for failure, like at least the mentality for it. I know that that was like a broad reach and not exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, uh, I was, I'm trying to see the connection between that and like the mental health stuff. And like how the affluence, like the thinking that that material affluence is a possible and B will solve all your problems is causing mental health. What does that have to do with the the blaming of of individuals? If you do not succeed, there is only one person to blame statement. Oh, okay. 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 Willing to work hard enough regardless of familial, ethnic, or social background. That shit is just not true. Um, There systemic large-scale problems that cause those things not to be true uh, right. but you address those problems if you can blame an individual for the end results of failure right. that was my point that dauntingness that you are never not connected to something that like in our society in the system that works with capitalism things are still all interconnected 
um, but the blame ends up being an individual failure. Uh, okay. and that is daunting and depressing and hard to come to terms with. Yeah. It is telling in this context of rising rates of mental illness that new labor commit, committed itself early in its third term in government to removing people from incapacity benefit, implying that many, if not most, claimants are maling, what is that? Malingerers. Malingerers, okay. Claimants are malingerers. In contrast with this assumption, assumption, it doesn't seem unreasonable to infer that most of the people claiming incapacity benefit and they and there are well in excess of two million of them are casualties of capital. As significant proportions proportion of claimants, for instance, are people psychologically damaged as a consequence of capitalist realist insistence that industries such as mining are no longer economically viable. Even considered in brute economic terms, though, the arguments about viability seem rather less than convincing, especially once you factor in the, the cost to taxpayers of incapacity and other benefits. Many have simply buckled under the terrifying un unstable conditions of post-Fordism. Um, I'm gonna continue. The current ruling um, ontology denies any possibility of a social ca um, causation of mental illness. The chem uh, chemico bio Biologization? Okay, the chemical biologization, the chemical biologization of mental illness is, of course, strictly commensurate with its uh, depoliticalization. Considering mental illness an individual chemical biological problem has in enormous benefits for capitalism. First, it reinforces capital's drive towards atomistic, atomistic individualization. You are sick because of your brain chemistry. Second, it provides an enormously lucrative market in which multinational pharmaceutical companies can peddle their pharmaceuticals. We can cure you with, with our SSRIs. It goes without saying that all mental illness, uh, all mental illnesses are neurologically instantiated, but this says nothing about their causation. If it is true, for instance, that depression is constituted by low serotonin levels, what still needs to be explained is why particular individuals have low uh, levels of serotonin. This requires a social and political explanation and the task of repoliticalizing uh, re mental illness is an argument one if the left, oh, sorry, is an urgent one if the left wants to challenge capitalist realism. And this is like a whole, that, that sentence could lead us down and has led us in, you know, into a whole can of worms. But I think that um, obviously, this shit is undeniable as far as like talking about like working inside of a capitalist framework. I think one thing that would be um, incredibly helpful 
would be decommodifying prescriptions, you know. Yeah, so decommodifying no... and right, and just the concept that there's a lot of these things that probably not probably that perhaps um, just a prescription isn't going to be able to tackle, if you will. That concept, that need for a cure um, so that it can be a footnote instead of an explored problem so that capitalism could move forward, you know, obviously um, can be detrimental as well. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it, and it's heartbreaking. I think, I, I think I've talked about it before on a different uh, episode, but like the, the whole thing about like suicide rates have or attempted suicide. One of the primary factors is like financial. And then uh, my girlfriend uh, attempts suicide is in inpatient comes out and she owes them seven grand for her time in there. And within the first week they've sent her a bill. You know, and that's just yeah. so crazy. Like, you know, yeah. the, the stress of opening up that bill and, and seeing that, how does that not, you know, I encourage you to try again. I mean, well, wasn't she cured? Right. Exactly. Uh, it does not seem financial uh, or fanciful. It does not seem fanciful to see parallels between the rising incidence of mental distress and new patterns of assessing workers' performance. We will now take a closer look at this new bureaucracy in parentheses. Just and since this episode was a little shorter, I'm going to bitch about worker performance shit for a while. Um, um, well, let's just say that that was the yeah, end of that's chapter the end five. Of chapter five. Yes. Um, the worker performance shit, I just have a little bit of insight into it uh, due to past jobs that I've had that involved with me coming up with performance assessment programs and things Don't, of that. Do you feel like since he's, we're probably going to talk about it next. Um, yeah. Oh, I just want to talk about my experience with fucking. Okay. All right. All right. Assessing workers' performance. It's in the modern age and the times that I have used it, what seems most useless to me is that the assessment of worker performance requests that I have received have not been to, um, you know, help workers out to boost them after you assess their performance, to come up with programs to make better employees, it has generally been used as a tool to scapegoat problems. Oh, well, if we can just find out that our workers are doing shitty jobs, then we can start the blame train to has why sales are down this quarter or um, as to why customer returns are up or things of that nature. Very rarely have I seen it as like a proactive, let's use this to make a better company. It's a like, it's a negative tool so that you can use that marker uh, as something, you know, as an excuse for shareholders or your investment group when they come around and they're like, hey, what the fuck was going on with sales this year? You can make, oh, well, don't worry about it. We figured it out. We targeted shitty workers in these categories. We will be working on replacing them or blah, blah, blah. It's just the point of what I'm saying is, is that so little in the workplace has anything to do with um, the human factor and has everything to do with profit margins. And that's just such a terrible place to work out of when all of your focus is on profit um, and everything is used uh, as a reason to explain profit or as an excuse as to why profit wasn't what it wasn't, um, which just takes away that ability to actually solve any problems. And my God, the stress it causes on employees to go through biannual, even something as little as biannual performance reviews, it's just, it's mind numbing because most companies, A, make you self-assess yourself and then you have to go through an assessment generally with your immediate boss and then review that assessment with 
generally a director of sorts in your area. Um, and it is, it really is, it's an unbelievable stressful thing. And most companies also attach raises to your performance. Um, and usually uh, the people assessing your performance are given guidelines as to how many people can get raises, um, which means that these managers are generally in a position where they have to just decide five employees that regardless of how good they're doing, they're just gonna have to tell them they need to improve their performance because they just don't have, they have 15 employees, they probably have enough raise to go around for 10, if you will. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's such a negative aspect of really, from what I've encountered with it, not to improve a company, but to set up a scenario where you can blame your employees for issues that are most likely not their fault. Word, word. Well, I'm excited to uh, dive deeper into that topic next uh, um, next episode when we get into yeah. chapter six, Capitalist Realism. Well, I'm just um, excited. It opens up talking about one of my favorite films of all time, Office Space. I don't think oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, chapter six is called uh, All That Is Solid Melts Into PR, colon, Market Stalinism and Bureaucratic Anti-Production. Sounds, yeah. sounds crazy. All right, man. Well, I look forward to, uh, to um, diving into that chapter. Me too.